This is Kenny. And this is Mark. And this is All I Want to Do is Talk About Madonna. American Pie and the next best thing. But wait a minute. It's the beginning of our season. Season four. American Pie and the next best <laughs> thing. No, but you got to say what the season is. <laughs> Oh, season Kenny. four. Welcome back, friends. Welcome season back four. 2000. To 2005, American Woman. Yeah. And now. American Pie and the Next Best Thing. Soundtrack. What? Soundtrack. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. <laughs> oh, boy. Here we go. Welcome back, Kenny. Thanks, Mark. How Welcome was, back to you. How was the rest of your summer? Um, it's been great. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a really hot summer. Hot. Hot, hot summer. Wearing those short shorts everywhere. <laughs> I know. I forgot to put on pants today. <laughs> you did? <laughs> I did. I did. And then what did you do? I uh, got on the subway and got some looks. Oh, and then you're like, oh my lord, uh, I forgot my pants. <laughs> I ran off the subway. And you ran back to your apartment. <laughs> And then you put on some shorts and came over. I did. I did. Well, I'm I glad did. you're here. I'm glad to be here. I'm so happy to start this season. This is a, a crazy, exciting time in Madonna land and in the world itself right now as we're recording. There's so much going on, which is wonderful. And uh, yeah, I think this is a really pivotal time. This is a, a really fun time in Madonna Time, 2000 to 2005. She's living in London. She's in love. She's making movies. She's making albums. She's going on tour. She's having babies. She's having babies. She's or giving a baby. She's giving lots of interviews. She's giving lots of interviews. She's keeping her hair mostly the same length, though yeah. di slightly different color. It's it's a consistent time. It's a consistent time, and uh, and she's trying a lot of things out. She's trying new things. She's taking chances. Yes, and um, she's um, also having some misses, some hits, and some misses. As always, and like we all do. Exactly, exactly. Let's set up where we are. So um, Madonna, instead of uh, going on tour behind Ray of Light, she finished Ray of Light. Ray of Light was amazing. Everyone was like, you're going to go on tour. She was like, I'm going to go on tour and only sing the new album. And everyone was like, no way. And uh, so, but instead of going on tour, she decided to focus on her personal life, hang out with Guy Ritchie, and make a movie with her friend Rupert Everett. All I want to do is talk about Madonna is about the music. We're about right. the, each song that Madonna has done. But what is interesting about it is this is one of those where we're going to break a little protocol and talk a little bit more about the movie because I think the movie has significance in the Madonna lexicon of this time. And two, it informs her decisions musically for the project, I think. Uh, yeah, I guess so. And I also think it sort of is like a weird pivotal moment in her film career too. Yeah. And yeah. it's a snapshot of where she is and where the country was in this yeah. moment as well. Yeah. Um, so I guess we, should we start with the film? <laughs> if you want to. Okay. So <laughs> the next best thing um, was a movie script uh, by Tom Robolewski who also wrote the um, masterpiece Look Who's Talking Now. The oh, yeah. third of the Look Who's Talking movies. The one where the pets talk. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Really. Uh, one of a, my favorites. A seminal film. Yeah. Kirstie Alley's favorite film she ever made. <laughs> and um, he's married to uh, Leslie Dixon who's a um, high powered uh, at the time was a very um, influential producer. Producer. And so they had this movie, um, I think it was called The Red Door or The Red Curtain. 
Okay. And um, and I think it was it was written as early as like 85 or 86, which oh. is kind of really interesting. And Richard Dreyfus was was slated to do the film and play Robert. And then Helen Hunt was supposed to play Abby right. at a certain point. And it kept getting into development, 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 development. And then after Rupert Everett made... Uh, the, My Best Friend's Wedding with Julia Roberts and had a big success in that film, they kind of, you know, all of the, to his saying, all of the doors in Hollywood were open for this brief time and he got a ton of scripts. And I've, I'm assuming this is one of the scripts that he got and this is the project he decided to make. Yeah. Which kind of greenlit the project which has been sitting in development for, you know, years at that point. I think I'm wrong. I think it's 96 or 95. It's not 86 or 85. <laughs> Sorry about that. I'm just like doing the math. No, it was a 96 or which makes more sense with Helen Hunt and Richard Dreyfuss. Oh, girl. <laughs> I'm sorry. The unreliable narrators. All I'm going to do is talk about my daughter. <laughs> um, anyway, okay. So he gets the script. He gets the script. And then um, I think they did a bunch of rewrites. Right. Well, Rupert, well, I'm not sure exactly how it happened, whether they did the rewrites before John Schlesinger joined the film or right after. Yeah. Um, John Schlesinger, uh, Oscar award winning director, did Sunday Bloody Sunday, probably his best film, yeah. but also then did... Um, uh, Midnight Cowboy, which is what he won the Oscar for. Yeah. Queer British director. In a really funny interview on Charlie Rose, he and Rupert Everett are there to talk about the film. Madonna is noticeably absent, and Charlie yeah. Rose points to this multiple times. He's like, and Madonna's in it too. Um, <laughs> Rupert Everett and John Schlesinger had met years and years earlier before Rupert Everett was famous mm. when Rupert Everett was working in a shoe store. <laughs> and he got John Schlesinger shoes, like, and he was like the salesperson, and they became friends. Of course they did. Of course they did. <laughs> of course they did. Because you know, when I go to the shoe store, I make a friend. <laughs> well, I think if you're a famous queer director and you're a young, up and coming, handsome, tall, you know, strapping, strapping young wannabe famous actor. You befriend each other, yeah. right? You're delicate with the ankle. Right. And yeah. and John Schlesinger made it clear in the interview that he has very large feet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just wanting to point to that. Hello? He's leaving me. Oh, don't stop him. Just let him go, Abby. And then what? Rush over to my house and tell me all about it. I can't imagine any man letting you slip through his fingers. You're the only woman in the world that I would like to be. Ow. Robert, look at me. I'm not 24 anymore. I'm not even 34 anymore, so what? 1989. Maybe I'd like to have a family before it's too late. 1999. You don't need to have a man to have a child. This is the 21st century. Uh, this movie is um, 
Oh boy, what this movie? Um, Robert and Abby are best friends, and in after uh, and they live in L.A. and they live in L.A. up in Laurel Canyon, I think. Right? Yeah, it sounds right. I mean, oh, that's another thing they say in this interview is that one of the reasons why Rupert Everett wanted John Schlesinger to direct it, and in this interview, it's implied that Rupert picked John. Yeah, that he's like, oh, John always has this way of making wherever whatever locale he's in a character in the film, and I wanted to portray L.A. not as this you know, fancy superstar place, but it's this really wonderful, you know, town. (laughs) So yeah, so LA gets featured, but in a very different kind of way. A different kind of way. Um, And uh, they play best friends who, uh, after um, a romantic disappointment on Abby's part, um, get rip-roaring drunk in uh, a house that uh, Robert is um, overseeing as a gardener. and, uh, And he lives in. He lives, he lives in the house. He lives in the guest house. Yeah. He's a gardener. Abby is a yoga instructor. Yes. And this is one of the things that they rewrote. You think? Oh, well, yeah, I know. Yeah, I know yeah, for sure. think? Abby, in the original script, was a swimming coach. And then Madonna said, I don't want to be in chlorine. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. And it makes sense that Helen Hunt would be the, totally. would be Abby, because I, I see Helen Hunt in chlorine. Oh, totally. And in like one of those like swimsuits. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? With a swim cap. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Do that again. But instead, we get to capitalize on this thing we already know about Madonna, that she's into yoga. So we get to see her leading class and um, owning her own studio is what's implied. Yes, yes. Right? And, and that beautiful sequence where um, she's doing yoga. And oh it's, it's kind of stunning to watch Madonna actually do yoga. It's amazing. And yeah. I, I wish there had been more of it. She's her, she's her leg behind her head. Yeah. And then she flips down into like, I think a downward dog. Yep. Or a, yeah. Effortlessly. Then, oh, it's so gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah, one of the best parts of the film. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> and they um, they have a drunken night together, and uh, she gets pregnant, and they decide to raise the child together. I have something to tell you. Is it uh, bigger than the bread box? Not yet. So let me tell you something. In many movies, <laughs> yes. there are moments where you have to suspend your disbelief. And this movie asks you to do that multiple times. Right. And this is the first example. Okay, but that's... So they're like, if you're on board with this movie, you're going to suspend your disbelief. I can buy... I Listen, ultimately I buy this one, meaning okay. I will buy one. And, and okay. This is, right, actually this is a, the one. We this give is them a, the one. This story. So uh, fine. Okay, fine. great. They have this night. Great. And then they have the baby, they raise the baby, and then um, the movie careens into something Ugh, else. But something let, else. let's bookmark it here and go back Okay. Um, and just mention a little bit about Rupert Everett. So Rupert Everett, um, it really does deserve a lot of, of credo. He was one of the first out gay actors. He he came out as as gay, I think, in like the the 80s. I mean, he, he was out and gay in like 86, 87, at the height of, of when HIV and AIDS was was starting to really massacre our community. And, um, and he was out, to, good or bad, throughout that time. And in, again, in 1997, he did a film uh, called My, Next, My Best Friend's Wedding with Julia Roberts. Julia Roberts had um, kind of gotten 
had kind of come out of a period of like stagnant film roles and she wanted to like spice it up and so she played a um, food critic named Jules uh, who is kind of a, a, an anti-hero in the film but what saves this movie and Cameron Diaz is in it singing badly and, and Dylan McDermott is in it looking lost and is that Dylan McDermott? No. Yeah. Who, what's his name? Yeah, I think it is Dylan McDermott. There's another one. Dylan. Dylan, yes, yes. <laughs> Not the one that was in the practice, the other one. He's in it. And Dermot Mulroney. Dermot Mulroney. I'm I sorry. I always get those oh, two confused, it's too. So they, they joke about it, too. No, and people frequently get the wrong guy with me. We get that, too, so it could be that. Who's that other guy? <laughs> yeah. Who is and are that you so tired guy? of that? Like, we even, it's just, it's funny when you came on. Like, are we going there again? No, we, we go there all the time. We've been going there for 30 some odd years. <laughs> for those who don't know, and, uh, and, uh, now I love it. Mulroney and Dylan McDermott, not the same person. Not nope. the same person, which we proved when we Dermot. appeared last season on L.A. to Vegas. His incredible that hit Fox comedy. Yeah. What saves this movie is the Burt Backrack songs and Rupert Everett, who they you can feel it in the film. They rewrote the movie several times to get him back into the story yeah. and bring him back into the story multiple times including redoing the ending in Pretty in Pink style of reshooting the whole ending after mm. it had tested poorly because Jules needs to wind up with her friend. Yeah. Which she does. Yeah. Well, they, you know, yeah. I mean, it's called My Best Friend's Wedding. Yeah. Um, but, of course, he's the, the third best friend. The third friend. best the, the friend. The triangle and the great triangle yes. of that movie. It ends up being a really good movie. And I love that idea that she's an antihero. She is. I mean, when she sends that email. Oh. Um, she, and remember, she hesitates. <laughs> she's like, wait a second. What am I doing? It's like, yes, Julia. Be bad. I love Julia Roberts in, in evil mode. I wish she did it more. Oh, yeah. I just love Julia Roberts. Yeah. But listen, all I want to do is talk about Julia Roberts is this, another spin. Yes, correct. So um, so <laughs> she, so she, this movie, though, the big, the big winner of this film is Rupert Everett. And, um, and so he has a lot of, and he's done a bunch of um, queerish movies. He, he was in, like, An Ideal Husband that Madonna went with him to the premiere to. He, he's, he's very affi affiliated with Oscar Wilde. He's done a... Yeah. He did the film version of Judas Kiss recently where he played an older Oscar Wilde. He, it's very much in his kind of bag. And what's interesting is, is that The Next Best Thing is one of those rare instances where he's playing another normal person, just a person, a contemporary person. Yeah, I think this is this is a good, this is a really great thing. I mean, first, um, he, and in a way, like this was kind of one of the flaws of the, of the casting choices. Like what made him, what allowed him to succeed in My Best Friend's Wedding is that he, he stepped into this role. Um, yes, it was a queer role, but what it really was was a kind of character we don't really get to see in cinema, which is a gentleman. Yes. And he really embodied this this sense of class and style that, yeah, is... is um, connected to homosexuality, you know, but also is just so... It's a throwback. 
You yes. Know? And so then when he shows up in my my uh, best friend's <laughs> my best friend's next thing, the next best thing, he isn't any of those things. Well, now you know we're I mean? I, he's not soaring in and out of the film. He's carrying the film, and he's it's his story. Yeah. As much as we want to believe it's a Madonna movie, it really is. Robert's story. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and Abby, actually, the Madonna role is... And again, this is... An, uh, a Madonna also said at the time that um, part, of the, part of the appeal of doing the movie was working with Schlesinger, in theory, doing a film with her, friend, her best friend, Robert, Rupert Everett, and playing a normal person. Can we go... Okay, yes. I want to talk about normal person, <laughs> but I want to just talk about best friend, Rupert Everett. Oh, okay? yes. Let's talk about best let's, friend, let's Rupert Let's talk Everett. about this shit. All right. There's an interview um, that uh, Rupert and Madonna give um, December 30th, 1999, right before the world is about to end. They're in Miami, where they both live at the time. Um, and they talk about their friendship. And the story goes that actually, like all of Madonna's friends, she met him through Sean Penn mm -hmm. um, in the 80s. And then, and then, and he was like, um, like, then they didn't really see each other for like a decade yeah. plus. Um, and she's like, oh, you went off and we're all depressed and writing novels, and which he did. He wrote a couple gay novels. Yeah. And, and made a record. Uh, he, he was a pop singer. Too. Yeah, he made a record too, yeah. yeah. I've been trying so hard to get through But it's like rain against the windows I've been waiting outside My belief is gone What do you say When they're dragging you back to square one And they're shooting you up on the front line Burning the bridge you began When you don't have the strength to go on So and then and then suddenly he reappears as her best friend right around the time he's starting to become famous in my my best friend's wedding. Yes, right? correct. So anyway, that's all I'm saying. I don't want to throw any more shade because then she he sort of disappears again from her life very soon after this. <laughs> well, I think I, I think what's interesting about the the project is um, it, 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 we have to look at it and, and when we talk about as we're talking about this, I don't want to look at it from a 2022 lens. I want to really like remember what it was like in 2000 and 1999 and to have a film where it's demanding the validity of a gay man's role in a traditional quote unquote family unit. Um, is really groundbreaking and really an important thing to talk about. How they get to that and the things that are attached to that to make it quote-unquote palatable is really problematic and was problematic that... Do you remember seeing this movie? Yeah. 
I don't remember where I saw it, but I do remember seeing it. I remember where I was. I had to drive out to the friggin' suburbs of Chicago. I was living in Chicago, and I had to drive out to the suburbs because none of the theaters in town were playing it, and I saw it at a mall in Illinois (laughs) with my boyfriend at the time. John. John was with me. We saw it together. Um, He hated it and was very very displeased with me. And, um, and it was, it was sparsely attended. Yeah. Though it did open, had a good opening, yeah. which demonstrated that people would go to see a Madonna movie. Yeah. Um, or a Rupert Everett movie, hard to say. But, um, yeah, look, I, I appreciate the lens that you want to look at it through. It's hard to separate the two because Correct. I think as the film goes on, it becomes more and more problematic. And, um, but let's get back to this idea of playing normal people. Yeah. Because Madonna was like... I I was attracted to the idea of playing an ordinary person in a movie because usually when I I make films, I'm always doing parts that are bigger than life, Mm -hmm. larger than life, and extraordinary people um, or famous people Mm -hmm. or other icons, whatever. And I was attracted to the idea of playing a normal, ordinary person. Down to earth. Yes. And and I have to say that came across quite well because Mm -hmm. for a certain, you know, I I know you're Madonna, but when I actually saw the film, I I sort of forgot, you know, Mm -hmm. you you actually seem like a real normal person. I mean, you you are a normal person because I'm talking to you. Yeah, I know what you mean. Uh, Yeah, okay, I didn't get it across (laughs) quite well, but sorry. Really if you do look at her discography, everyone she has played except for Nikki Finn at, the, at this point. And Susan. Susan and Nikki Finn Good going have, been, have both been have all been period women, women Little in shit. a certain era. <laughs> or have been larger than life comic book goddesses. Totally. So yeah. this was a, 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 a an opportunity to see Madonna with a box of Cheerios in a grocery store. <laughs> and she does all of these. And John's Schlesinger in this interview on Charlie Rose talks about how hard it was to get her to be natural. (laughs) Poor Madonna. He's like, well, she's very meticulous about her image. Yes. And that a lot of the work that they had to do on set was to get her to relax and just enjoy herself and have fun. Yeah. Forget about the cameras or forget about the angles because she's very, and the lighting. The lighting. Because I can tell, like, there there are shots in the movie. First of all, it's the darkest yoga studio I've ever seen. Second of all, everything is shot with, like, really interesting sunlit rooms with angles yeah. where all of a sudden her face will be illuminated in the shadows. Yeah, we see her eyes a yes. lot and not always all of her face. Yeah. Which at the time I was like, oh, they're trying to cover up age or whatever. Yeah. But really looking back on it when I watched it again to prepare for today, yeah. I thought the lighting was really beautiful. And I think she just, she looks luminous to yeah. me in the film. She's gorgeous, yeah. gorgeous. And and it's interesting because I had not seen it again. since I saw it that one time in the theater and then I didn't see it again until we just watched it again, which was quite um, challenging. <laughs> yeah, it was, as it goes on. I mean, it, it's, you know, and it's, it's interesting because it's this movie that the first, like, tw- like you said, the first, like, 40 minutes of it is kind of fun yeah. and silly yeah. and she is relaxed and, yeah. and kind of, um, not zany the way Nikki Finn was, but she's kind of enjoying, she's enjoying it and having fun with it. And, 
Like, I mean, and as bad as it is, like the whole keys sequence. Can we talk about the keys sequence? So Madonna's boyfriend, Michael Vartan, um, after he compliments her amazing body and her beautiful self and her amazing layness, he leaves her, but she needs to get his house keys. Instead of changing the locks because she owns a yoga studio and lives up in Laurel Canyon, she and and Robert hatch a plan to go get the keys. Oh, so stupid. Yeah. And what, what does he do? He shows up at... His, well, Michael Vartan plays a music producer. A cold, ruthless music producer. Who's producing rap. Yes. Apparently, according to this film. Yes. And they don't um, hear a single. They don't have a single yet. They don't yet. have a single yet. <laughs> so Rupert Everett shows up in full homosexual regalia. Oh, because also, and this is something, whether it's 2000 or 2023, Three that we want to look at the lens of this through 2022. Um, Michael Vartan calls uh, Rupert Everett Robert a faggot right away, like in the first ten minutes of the film. Right away, yes. And Madonna, to her, whether this is Abby or not, does not stop and say, "Don't use that word" yeah. or anything. You know, that may be a 2022 reading of a 20 2000 film, but the fact that she doesn't even blink at that and no. say, you know, is problematic she, and, and difficult. She's, she's just trying to stop him from leaving. She's just trying to remember her next line and be <laughs> present. I mean, this is the honest truth. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Because she wasn't like, if they had really been like really digging into the script, I mean, this is a moment where like how, you know, Madonna shouldn't be in any scene where she like, regardless of character. Here's the word. Well, I, I was shocked by how many um, uses of the word faggot were in the film. Yeah. And two, how much waxing and nair products seem to have, oh, a, have a key yeah. role in the in the movie, and Madonna <laughs> participates in this where she's like, um, "Well, yeah, we'll get back to that Nair in a second where she when they're together, and she's like, you need to wax your back.' Yeah, I mean, I, like, oh. th- th- these are, uh, and again, this is like cliched gay tropes yeah. one hundred and one. So he shows up in all of the cliche gay tropes, pretends that he's Michael Fartan's lover in front of all these rappers. Who who are blatantly misogynistic, call him and her homophobic. and homophobic. Yeah. yeah. And then the whole, there's a fight about, oh, like something about Nair there too, yeah. right? Like Throws he left the your Nair. Nair. Brought, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then gets the keys that way. And it becomes this moment of, tr- like we hoodwinked him into getting the keys and she's like, yes, with the keys. It's ridiculous. <laughs> it's a weird scene. And I, and and that was the moment in the movie. I'm like, oh, who is the audience for this movie? Is it Madonna fans? Because those fans are pretty much gay men at this point. Yeah. Or are they Rupert Everett fans? Are they my are they the net, my best friend wedding fans? Yeah. Well, I mean, are we supposed to feel like that moment is a moment of gay empowerment? Like, oh, we're using the negatives to get something. But it's like. Who cares? Yeah, just change the fucking locks. Um, I also want to say, like, I still kind of do have a crush on Michael Vartan. I think he's so cute. Oh, God. But, (laughs) um... Yeah, he. I mean, <laughs> um, anyway. I'm, I'm still I'm still grappling with the fact that Abby, who is a yoga instructor, yeah. is totally like into mindfulness meditation. Is clearly the the boss of her friend group. Those women that she's yeah. always with is like cowering in the in the <laughs> outside her window, trying to figure out how to keep him from leaving. Well, she has a problem with men. I mean, the same thing happens when Ben comes into her life yeah. she really she really lets go of so much of her power it's it's so so strange but 
What's also, and, and, and if, here comes the first whiplash of the movie. Right after that kind of zany scene, we get a funeral scene. Yeah. And this is where the song that we're, dis- one of the songs we're discussing today uh, comes into play for the first time. Um, Neil Patrick Harris, pre, pre-out Neil Patrick Harris, um, boyfriend slash lover has, has died of AIDS. Um, they're calling it pneumonia. He's at a white person funeral. The whole tribe of their friends, including Madonna and some Gucci sunglasses, show up. Which, how can she get forward, by the way, to as a yoga instructor? Okay. To say goodbye to their friend and talk about how he wanted to be cremated and, and play Don McLean's American Pie. And so they sing along to it as Neil Patrick Harris says goodbye to his lover. Okay. Yes. So here's some here's some issues for me with this. First of all, um, I don't think AIDS is ever directly said in the film, which is fine because Correct. it's 2000. Correct. So, so if we're looking through the lens of 2000, it was enough that it was implied that we were directly facing this. My biggest issue is that the dead guy's favorite song is American Pie. Like, is there any homosexual that that is their favorite song? Well... I'm sorry. Well, uh, uh, and this is a moment where I'm like, oh, this is the re- these are the heavy these are the rewrites. rewrites. And yeah. this is like part of a larger like movie studio plan of like, oh, Madonna's going to cover this song. We're going to drop this song into this film, whether or not it makes any sense. And, well, and that's yeah. how we're going to Well, proceed. Rupert Everett apparently is the one that really wanted this song in the film. Yes. And, one, and, and is the one who added this into the story. Correct. Several it's, times, because it comes back a few more times through the film. Three times. Yeah. Um, and I, I also... So there's a couple things connected to that. One, we are now connecting Rupert Everett to music, right? And yeah. to classic songs yes. because of My Best Friend's Wedding. So this is slightly reminiscent of... Best Friends Wedding. Just oh, a little singing. further, Don McLean's uh, 1971 hit song, American Pie. It was a, a, a generationally defining song. It has eight verses. Don McLean refused to cut any of them to make it a radio-friendly hit. Um, it's six or eight minutes long, and it it played on the radio for six to eight minutes every time and was a huge, huge yeah, hit. Yeah, it went to number one. Yeah, so it's slightly it's slightly a little later than the back rack stuff, but he you can see him, exactly. He's cycling into like... Yeah. Yeah. The next era. A long, long time ago, I can still remember how that music used to make me smile. And I knew if I had my chance that I could make those people dance and maybe they'd be happy for a while. But February made me shiver. With every paper I deliver Bad news on the doorstep I couldn't take one more step I can't remember if I cried When I read about his widowed bride But something touched me deep inside The day the music died So bye bye Miss American Pie Drove my Chevy to the levee but the levee was dry And them good old boys were drinking whiskey and rye Singing this'll be the day that I die 
This'll be the day that I die Did you write the book of love And do you have faith in God above If the Bible tells you so Yeah, and so, okay, so the song plays there, so it's the first time we hear it, so it's sort of getting threaded into the story. And and, and then we have, the, then we then they have this, um, and, and I think when Madonna and, and Rupert hook up in the film, they are sexy in that sequence, the, all of the kind of, when they're like hanging out by the pool and drinking a lot, yeah. and like it, it, you can see they're attracted, like they have a chemistry. Yeah. Well, the, and it feels like yeah. it, it almost feels like a home video in this weird way. Like Madonna's the most relaxed she is in the whole movie during those sequences where they're cavorting around the house in the evening dresses. And oh yeah, totally. Well, I actually think this goes to um, John Schlesinger, who I think, well, he lived in Palm Springs. Yeah. At this point in his life, so, um, and the people that he, the house that. Um, Rupert Everett is taking care of like are these old queens who and there's a scene where we see them like sitting around a table debating talking. who was a Betty a better Annie get your Annie Oakley and Annie get your gun Merman or Betty Hutton right and I think that this is the most authentic moments of the film for John Schlesinger because he knows that house he knows that world yeah it's a really nice setting and he plays with all of the stuff there really beautifully. Yeah. And we get to see Madonna in like a gorgeous dress. Yeah. Yeah. And, and even Rupert ends up in like a kind of a tux, yeah. right? Which then is this throwback to this gentleman that I'm talking about, like meaning they f sort of fulfill the roles that we know them as, exactly. right? Exactly. They become the stars that they actually are yeah. in the world. And then they wake up the next morning and they have to be Abby and Robert. And they have a ridiculous fight. <laughs> like a fight about nothing. Like, well, you know. and this is the problem with the movie. And this is why like the rewrites are so dreadful. It's like, there are no characters. There are only attitudes to get us to the next conflict. That's right. So no matter what was happening the, the moment before, now, oh, I'm mad at you so that we can get to the next thing or, oh, I'm really happy and excited for you. It, it's a, such a strange, yeah. like, yeah. disjointed moment. And then after this, we're jump cutting again to another weird gay scene about Rupert Everett picking up his parents at the airport. Uh -huh. So we get this awkward scene with his withholding father, like every gay man has, and a fabulously devoted mother played by... Yes. And Lynn Redgrave. <laughs> Lynn Redgrave, everybody, before Laura Dern, before Jean Smart, before Catherine Hahn and all this Hanassans, there was Lynn Redgrave. Lynn Redgrave was one of the, Red, obviously, one of the legendary Redgrave family members. She was the fun younger sister to Dower yeah. Vanessa and um, uh, aunt to Natasha Richardson, all of this stuff. She was a uh, Georgie girl in the 70s, was nominated for an Oscar for that, and then worked steadily without attention in shitty TV shows with Jackie Mason, all kinds of different projects. Didn't she do some 
like Weight Watchers. She did Weight Watchers. She she just she she's basically living the I'm still here song over and over again. And then in the nineties, the late nineties, she did a movie called Gods and Monsters where she played a sassy and great amazing film. character role as the housekeeper. Yeah. And uh, was nominated again for the Oscar and then had this kind of resurgence. And her choice of films to do after was the next best thing. <laughs> probably to work with, uh, she knew John Schlesinger. Yeah, of course, so of course. Like, they probably called him Johnny. Yeah, but she's the Anne Lynn Redgrave in the movie. So Madonna, Rupert Everett, Neil Patrick Harris. No. Ben Bratt. B- Benjamin Bratt. And oh, Michael Vartan. Michael Vart. And Lynn Redgrave. No, um, Neil Patrick Harris is after the Anne Lynn Redgrave. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, he's not, he's not there yet, baby. Whoa. Not there yet. He's doing Rent on, on tour. <sighs> so, th- again, so now we've had three, re- three or four really cliche gay scenes in a row. And yeah. this is the first, like, 30 minutes of the movie. Queen, are we going to go through this whole fucking No, movie? no, no, no. Let's jump ahead. <laughs> so what did you, what were some of your favorite moments of the uh, film? Favorite moments? I feel like we've hit a lot of them. <laughs> okay. But let me just double check my notes. Hold on. Make sure I didn't. Um, oh, God. Oh, first of all, uh, well, one of my favorite moments is that she says, I've made up my mind. I'm keeping this baby. Yep. <laughs> so she's already referencing herself. Yes. Um, my other, one of my other favorite moments is, well, one of the moments that infuriates me, it, well, well, I love the moment she's at the big uh, lunch. She's super pregnant <laughs> and she stands up to give a toast, I think. It's and <laughs> and she, all she lets out is like a huge scream. And then the scream cuts to her face giving la- in labor and she's screaming, give me all the drugs or whatever. And then, and then the craziest thing happens. We like jump like six years. A blackout, a baby's oh, cry. Oh, a blackout. And then, and then we're six years ahead. Six years ahead. But nothing has really changed. And yet there's now like a young little boy Played running Played by around. Malcolm Stumpf, who I love. I love that kid. He, he is good in the film. Yes. Um, one of my other well, favorite... Well, but that's not yeah. true. They have lots of friends because, you know, when you have a child, you have all this, this, oh, yeah. this widened social circle of other parents and other family members and kids. Yeah. Yeah, that's so true. Um, I love I love when um, Ben Bratt comes into the yoga studio. Well, Ben Benjamin Bratt. So Benjamin Bratt is uh, plays Ben, a takeover finance guy from uh, New York, who's Very come Richard Gere, who's come woman. to L.A. to uh, work for a company in trouble, and he's going to yeah. help with the takeover. Yeah. Hint, hint, hint. And uh, mm. he takes Madonna out, and prote- well, uh, uh, he takes he, Madonna he, out, and pr- we're not going through the whole movie. No, but this is my favorite part. No, it's not. This the, is, really? What do you mean? No, it's not my favorite okay, part. Fine. This is my favorite part of his story is that he comes into the yoga studio asking if they have free weights. Okay. <laughs> and, and then Madonna, who's at um, her desk and the front desk answering calls. And her son is handing out water and, and, and mats to people. Yes. He's six. Yeah. It says like, you know, you should take a yoga class. You should try it. You know, you should do, you know, take the class. And so he does. And in the yoga class, it's that moment where I'm like, oh yeah, fucking Ben Brad was so fucking gorgeous. Yeah. He's gorgeous. Gorgeous. His arms. Such an upgrade from Michael Vartan. I mean, I'm down with it. Yeah. 
And and then yes, he asks her out. And well, and here's the question that 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 brings up an interesting question: If he wasn't stunningly gorgeous, would he have been as big of a threat? Like, does he have to be more beautiful? It's a very surfacey kind of conundrum. Like, if he had just been a normal, sweet-looking guy who was treated her great, would it be have been such a threat to to Robert, who's so stunningly beautiful? I don't know. I don't know. I mean. I don't even think there's a world in which that's a real question. Like, do you know what I mean? Because like in this film world, everyone's stunning and gorgeous. It was, it could only be Benjamin Brown who could be with Madonna. I love then he takes her to dinner and he pretends that Harrison Ford is going to join their party. That's, well, he he says, would it make a difference if Harrison Ford yes, was joining us? Yes. And they're like, you tricked us. <laughs> I love oh it. God. I love it. So then the movie kind of works, moves very fast. And all of a sudden, we're questioning paternity. We are moving to New York. He's being made a partner. They're dancing on the beach together with the kid. Uh, ben teaches... Uh, there's Sam to tie his shoes, which is a threat. Um, Alina Douglas shows up to collect a paycheck as, as, as Robert's lawyer. And it becomes this like serious movie about, about a courtroom basically. Yeah. Because then Abby also reveals Robert, you aren't the father. Yes. Which, which that is where I, that's, that's where the shark jumps. (laughs) (laughs) I'm there till then. I'm like, okay, okay. They're having a fight. Yeah. Then she's like, actually, you're not the father. I just never wanted to tell you. I didn't know how to tell you. Yeah. What really upsets me in this part of the film is that, Abby and Robert had never talked about how, well, first of all, how are we going to ever explain to our son that you're gay Yes, and that we're a couple because something happens at school with the sign where he's like confused. Right. Yes. Um, and the word faggot is invoked again. Yes. And, um, and then like they never have, they've never talked about any contingencies or anything that could, well, there's like, nothing go- legally written. There was no contract right. sign. There was no, and we look at that now and we're like, Whoa, where was the paperwork? Where was the, all of the stuff and right. wouldn't right away when the blood type, cause it's, it, she finds yeah. out through their blood types that, that, and this was like years ago. Yeah. And it makes decides- no sense. No. And, 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 at, and again, this is another example of like the characters become these, these just like, yeah plot mouthpieces for yeah, the... Yeah, because it's not really within her character to be so deceptive. No, you know? no. Um, and, you know, it's a shame because I think, like, ultimately, for 2000 or 1999, 2000, and even today, like, like I was when I was watching it, I was like, oh, I should rewrite this movie and make it, like, what it should be because there's a really beautiful story to tell yeah. in this about unconventional families. Oh, I know? agree. And, like the possibility and love that could be there in an unconventional family. There's really no reason why they couldn't become a larger family through this event, you know? And there's, even if he's the father or not the father or whatever, like there were so many possibilities. And I think like, in that way, I don't blame Madonna. I don't even, I mean, I really think Madonna does a good job in the film. Yeah. I don't, there, yeah, there are things she could do better, but like, you know, but the but the role the role you can feel the the Abby deflating as the movie goes on because she's on screen less and less. Yeah. She's reacting to crazy things that Robert's doing or behaving. Robert becomes this whole other person when Ben 
Ben comes for to pick her up. He becomes this weird, he's playing the Judy Garland album. It becomes, again, another one of these like weird cliche things. And as the movie goes on, you see it becomes, as the courtroom stuff becomes more prevalent, and you've got, you know, a stern African-American female judge telling everybody to like calm down. And you've got legendary character actor John Carroll Lynch playing the mean lawyer, Madonna's mean lawyer going after Robert and his lifestyle. All of that's kind of going on and, and Abby just kind of sits there and has no reaction. No, she just looks pain. Well, she's totally powerless at this point. I mean, it's these two guys just trying to see who has the bigger dick at this point. Like, it becomes like such a different kind of movie for me. Yeah. And Ben, who first seems like a good guy, then is a bad guy, and then at the end is a good guy again. And he gets the, the little conversation with Robert apologizing for what has happened and then... Madonna gives him the gift of taking Sam to dinner and that's supposed to heal well, everything. He's like getting into his car on the side of the road and they drive up and drop the kid off and she's like, have him home for dinner. And it's like, well, now we're in the same spot we were in before any of this happened where there's no agreement, there's no actual legal thing and now everything's all fucked. So if something happened to the kid while he was with Robert, you know, Robert could end up in jail now. Like there's, like it's actually like a really shitty ending. Yeah. Like an in, in, in ending that like obviously no one knew what to do with because they had gotten so far off. Yeah. You know? Um, also, one thing about that final scene that I wanted to note is, like, um, I love all the clothes Madonna wears in the movie. She's in, like, these purples yeah. and pinks and oranges. Like, clothes we don't see her in normally. And she looks great in them. But in that last scene, she's wearing some kind of weird shoes. <laughs> Did you notice that? No, I didn't notice They're like, they look like orthopedics. <laughs> Everybody go watch and tell me what you think. Because there's something, I'm like, what the fuck is she wearing? Oh my God. Oh, this anyway. is too funny. I mean, again, what what is so compelling about the movie are, are the shell of it, you can see where it is. And yeah. like, Robert has a speech at the end of, in the courtroom where he talks about I've been uh, I've had to think about blood so much and that's obviously a ham-handed reference to AIDS and yeah. HIV but also to like your bloodline and what it means for you and of course his father comes in with money with money not love money to help him fight the court case and things like that and you've got Alina Douglas basically there to look stern and being like you have no chance because you're gay it's so funny I always thought her name was Ileana Ileana I'm sorry, I'm mispronouncing yeah. okay. it. Okay. Ileana Douglas, who, you know, has no part other than to be like, to remind the audience that gay people don't have any rights. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we're still in, you know, this is, again, a 2000 movie. It's like... I mean, uh, this is... Uh, so So the movie's kind of wrapping up. I, I will say this about the movie, though. I remember when um, I saw Sean Penn win the Oscar for Milk and, and playing our, you know, American hero, Harvey Milk. And I was thinking to myself, gosh, I wish Sean Penn and Madonna had done the next best thing when they were married and young and could play these parts. I thought that would have been so... Madonna in, in, in 1986 playing... Instead of doing Shanghai Surprise, they could have done this movie. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just, uh, I mean, first of all, she wouldn't have been ready for this. Totally, but I don't care. I'm just thinking, I was just thinking about it when, when Sean Penn was, was in Milk. He was wonderful. Who would he have played in this? He would have been Robert. 
And then we would have been like, Sean Penn's playing a gay guy. Yeah. Well, I guess he played it he's, in Rome. He's too. wonderful. Yeah. He was wonderful in Rome. Oh, I Look, we can go on about Sean Penn's acting career because I don't know always that I think he's so great. No. Well, let's table that for uh, for all I want to <laughs> do is talk about Sean Penn. So the 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 credit we the credits start. Um, it's roast beef Thursday, so we oh, gotta Jesus. go have roast beef. That, I mean. <laughs> Roast beef Thursdays. That's that's got to be a British thing, but I don't I don't fucking. And know. then the song begins. A long, long time ago, I can still remember how that music used to make me smile, and I knew that if I had my chance, I could make those people dance, and maybe they'd be happy for a while. So, American Pie, Madonna's cover of Don McLean's 1971 song, produced by William Orbit for the soundtrack, The Next Best Thing. Who apparently had never heard the original. No. And I think that's evident. <laughs> well, I want to know wh- why they picked the, t- the, the, the verses they picked, because they, they obviously right. like trimmed it. Well, I think Madonna was like, I can edit this. <laughs> This is actually one of her skills. I I think that they made good choices. Okay. And um, even though I don't love this song, I don't hate this song. Um, I so it's interesting. I had not heard it in many years, and then um, I was in Croatia last summer, and they played it like on the Muzak. Like it played like several times during the time I was there, and I you forget how much of a hit it was in Europe, and people love it. And it and it did. Say, it was lovely. It was it was lovely and effortless and it's kind of easy. smooth. Yeah, it's like a breeze. It just sort of. I mean, it can just play. Yeah, and because it has the lineage, like it's sort of. Familiar, but it's not, um, and there's nothing gritty about it. There's nothing no. that makes you perk up for it, you know. I also really think her vocals are pretty. Like I think that she delivers them, and it's beautifully sung. I met a girl who sang the blues, and I asked her for some happy news, but she just smiled and turned feel like it was bigger in the rest in Europe than it was in America. Um, and do you and think that was because of the iconography of the original song and people just couldn't get so. over the fact she was doing it? I guess. I think it just fit into like adult contemporary really well. And I think it just was a song people could play and just, you know, be like, and also I think Madonna was still writing on like, um, all the goodwill. 
Yeah, I mean, Ray of Light and Beautiful Stranger. This isn't that long after Beautiful Stranger. No. Um, and so people are like, oh, it's the new Madonna song, and it's yeah. it's a cover of American Pie, you know? And I think, like, so I think it just kind of landed. I mean, it has gotten a lot of flack over the years. Yeah, it hasn't aged well. And I think also um, Madonna, um, the record company convinced her to put it, to tag it on to like the reissue of music when they reissued it. And um, and I think she resented doing that. And so she's quote unquote punished the track from and has excised it from her greatest hits for, yeah, a, for a number of it. reasons, I think. And, yeah. But I also think um, the the re, the remixes did not make it a dance hit either. And you know, there's that Rip Richard Humpty Vision mix, and and I remember hearing it in a club in New York, and it was kind of weird. We started singing. Really, it was like I again. I think like ultimately, Beautiful Stranger was such for me at least such an amazing dance remix, and this just really didn't. Yeah, yeah, take me anywhere. We're also such a weird time in America. It's even weirder than it was just when you know this the uh, Beautiful Stranger came out. I mean, we're right in the millennium. It's just like, I don't know, it just didn't feel like a song I wanted to go dance to. I really love the video to the song, and that to me feels reflective of where we, are, where we were as a country in the video. And Because the video is basically Madonna in front of a kind of an American flag curtain. Tattered. Tattered American flag. She's got these low-ride jeans and a top and a tiara for some godforsaken reason. And a choker. Is she supposed to be the Statue of Liberty? She's American woman. She's American woman, the theme of our season, Attaboy. Yeah. And then it's cross-referenced with all these photos of Americans yes. and all the different people of our country. Yeah. And at that time, I feel like that was a, a really compelling platform to use that to show all those different kinds of people and gun people and um, goth people and fat people and yeah. skinny people and families, funerals, life Farmers, every all walks of life. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think that that was the most interesting part of the video that there were there was all this sort of Americana that's mm -hmm. captured. Um, I think the the shots of her dancing in front of the 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 um, the flag are like she's doing the same moves that she does in the beautiful stranger video. Yes, to less. Effect. Yes. In fact, the angle is almost similar. She's not shot as well. Um, the low ride jeans, I think, fall off at some point because we see her ass. Like, yeah. She pulls her pants up. She's wearing some kind of either like string down there or like a little it's a thong. chain. It's a, oh, it's it's a, a thong. thong. Yeah. Okay. And um, and then Rupert Everett shows up at some point in the video sitting there looking moody. He he, he doesn't look like, he looks oh. like he's been like abused into sitting there. And well, it's so funny because, you know, he's the one that convinced her to do the fucking song. He sings backup. He sings the backup, which, um, you know, is terrible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, 
yeah. one of the worst parts of the song. Like I, I kind of wish like if she had done the background vocals, maybe it would have sounded better, mm-hmm. you know, or more fun. Yeah. Like his vocals are, um, they're shadows. They feel like they're at shadows. Best, yeah. yeah. They are mediocre at best in, in, in quality. Okay. Like they're mixed in order to like, you know, he had to sing in a certain breathy way in order for him to hit the notes correctly or yeah. just sound right in the world of the song. And then, yeah, he's sitting there like he's upset. Mm. And yet, and I think part of it is because they get to the, make the video and they're both like, what the fuck is this song about? <laughs> yeah. It's it's an interesting it's an interesting thing because I I, I think part of the failure of the of the for, to, for for me of the song is it is so tied to the movie and 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 the video is tied to the movie like yes they're not thank God they don't show clips from the film oh, yeah. but the fact he shows up in the in the in the in the clip and there's all of the interviews and everything there. It's so tied to one campaign that when the movie failed and got terrible reviews and all of this stuff, the, the, the American pie kind of, and their friendship theoretically went down with the ship. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think like after the intense, campaign that they did for this film like if you and I had to go and do as many interviews and sit downs as those two did for this we wouldn't talk to each other for five years either yeah do you know what I mean that's valid that's (laughs) valid there was so much shit that these two did to sell this fucking movie yeah and like I think this just goes to this is like the Madonna credo like whether the product is good or bad like you sell the shit out of it exactly they did everything like all the magazine covers, all the interviews, separate and together. They even did a MTV fanatic episode, <laughs> guys. An MTV fanatic. So, in the in the late nineties, as of MTV was MTV starting to fray, starting to fray, yeah, yeah. um, we discussed it last episode. They had the show called MTV Fanatic, and it, it basically they found what they deemed MTV deemed yeah. the most fanatical fan of a certain artist, yeah. and they would surprise them if usually at work yeah. or like at school and say, we're going to take you to meet your, you're the, you've been deemed the fanatic number one fan of, you know, who Britney Spears and we're yeah. going to take you and we're going to whisk you away and we're going to get you to meet her right now. And it causes this person who clearly has been given the heads up yeah. and, and they all scream and jump up and down and then they're taken to directly to the person. Right. Given enough time to like maybe get a powder on their face <laughs> and a, a list of questions together yeah. to ask their idol. Yeah. And, and you know, if you had been, I mean, what a great gift. Oh my God. I mean, the best. I mean, so much fun. Yeah. And the young woman who gets chosen to go talk to Madonna is really sweet. Yeah. And Madonna is so great with her. She's so great. And she asks really good questions. And Madonna leans in. Like, she's yeah. leaning in. She She's very... But she's still Madonna. She's still... Is, is real. Yeah, yeah. She doesn't like kowtow to her, like give her syrupy answers. No, I but like she's that. really, she really enjoys talking to somebody who's like a normal person. Yeah. You know, about, and, and someone who's like obviously so happy to be there. And I think for Madonna, this is the beginning of the time where, well, the beginning of the end, in a way, not the end. I don't mean the end, but I mean like the beginning of the time where the interviews need to have some spice to them in order to keep her 
Yes. In the interview, yes. something has to be well happening. And I know? and I love that one of the first things she does is ask the girl about herself. Yeah. And I think that's the that's the the curiosity part of it. And and it's interesting that and, and it's a great conversation, but you can tell it wasn't a very long one because literally every like four or five seconds there's more clips. Yeah. from her career. Well, yeah. And I mean, I think, because there's a whole bunch of interviews where Madonna's wearing the same outfit. It's like this like kind of purpley thing. With, with like, the it's ruffles. Kind of, yes, yeah. yeah. And um, the, I saw like three or four different interviews she did. It's all on the same day. It's her press day or yeah. two days. Yeah. She probably has 15 minutes like everybody else, yeah. you know, and they use the best of that for Fanatic. If you had to make a time capsule to represent everything you've done, so 500 years from now, people that, that haven't seen what's, what's happened, what, what would you re want re to represent you? Oh, gosh. That's a tough one. <laughs> Be a big time capsule. I'd throw in all my records, <laughs> all my favorite videos, my daughter's shoes, <laughs> my boy toy belt. Yeah. <laughs> You're there. Mm -hmm. That's enough. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, this is a great soundtrack uh, to the next best thing, though the way they incorporate the songs into the film feel very checklisty in the movie. As I'm watching the movie, I'm like, oh, there's the Beth Orton song. Oh, there's this song. Oh, there's the Christina Aguilera song when she's opening the baby gifts. Oh, this. Oh, that. So, so. Um, but the soundtrack was executive produced by Madonna, yeah. and um, and it's a great kind of late '90s who's who of like trip hop and 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 Euro beat and. I mean, like you know, Bong, Bongo Bong by Manu Ch Manu Chow, and who is that? Um, it's this great. Um, there, it's a it's a French um, like um, nouveau kind of French. What's that word? She bossa nova e kind of band. There were a lot of these like world music musicians that Madonna was really into at the time that used trip hop and, and beats to make it. Beth Orton, of course, I was like thrilled that she was on the. Um, the soundtrack and it's it's i mean it's an interesting I know well, Groove Armada's on here, yeah. Mo Moby's on there, Olive's on there. I'm not in love. That great cover of Not in Love. Yeah, I like. Th well, actually, I don't think that's a great cover. I mean, I think that song is perfect the way it was, and it should never be recovered. I mean, the 10 CC version is like, yeah, it's a perfect song. But I love Olive. Yeah. I don't know, Extra Virgin. That album was on repeat in the midnight, mid to late 90s yeah. for me. Um, You're not alone, or yeah. is such a beautiful song. In a way, it's all. A matter of time I will not worry for you You'll be just fine Take my thoughts with you And when you look behind You will surely see a face that you recognize You're not alone Till the end of time Open your mind Surely it's plain to see You're not alone Wait till the end of time for you Open your mind Surely there's time to be Mandalay is also on here and um, all kind. I, I, I like the soundtrack and I remember 
it doesn't work in the movie, but as an album, it, it it's a it's it's like the Who's That Girl soundtrack. I mean, I I'll always love Scritty Politty too. Yeah, of yeah. course. No, I I agree with you about all of in in a certain. It fits in the. I like it in the context of the rest of the album, and I and the yeah, flow of yeah. the whole album. It kind of really works. There's also obviously another Madonna song. Yes. That's called Time Stood Still. Which honestly should have been the single. You think? You oh. think that should have been the theme of the movie? I think it's such a beautiful song. Despair, regret, and tenderness is what I feel for you. I love you from the very start. What else? But to me, this song, on on listening to it, I was like, wow, this um, has echoes of Power of Goodbye. Yeah. It reminds me of um, uh, The Look of Love from Who's That Girl? Yes, yes. And I think it points the way to Masterpiece. You know, I think it's a shame that it wasn't, that they went with American Pie. I get it because I think they were looking for that thing that would capture that would get airplay because yeah. that was one of the ways to get the, you know, the movie get attention. But yeah. And I, I, I also don't know what a video would look like to this song. It would have been a lot of clips from the film yeah. with her, with the fake crying. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, but there her is, her face is so wet in this film. Oh, she's always, and always closing her eyes and looking pained. Um, there is also a, a, an instrumental version of this song that's oh. in when they're at the beach. The, oh, yeah. there's a sequence and I'm like oh god there's that theme and I it's so beautiful in the it movie is. it's the one moment in the movie where the soundtrack actually works with it but it's not her singing it it's 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 the William Orbit instrumental yeah. and it's really beautiful yeah, and haunting it's, it's a great song yeah a great overlooked song yeah um so uh, as as we said the, the movie did not do well and i think it also and the single kind of uh went along with it in terms of i think it also showed madonna that she was going to have to forge a different path in the future with her music she wasn't going to have to kind of echo what was happening right now yeah, I think that she... Well, yeah, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Yeah. I think um, the, the song did do well. I mean, it mm. was like... It didn't really get released as a single single, right? And it yeah. still got to like top 30 in America and was huge hit all over the world just based on radio play. Yeah. Um, so it did do well, but I think that she was kind of bored with it. Yeah. You know? Well, um, and, and also, I mean, like, she wasn't going to go running around promoting the song because she had just spent all this time promoting the movie. And yeah. she was off to um, more uh, French pastures. Yeah. 
Yeah. So it's interesting. Uh, the the last. So we're gonna bring it back and end with Julia Roberts as as we uh, should because it's interesting that Madonna started um, this time uh, pairing with her co-star in. Uh, my ne- the next best thing, and then in the movie, uh, Benjamin Bratt is actually Julia Roberts's real life boyfriend. Yeah. And then in two thousand one, Julia Roberts finally won an Oscar for playing Aaron Brockovich, and who escorts her onto the stage? But Benjamin Bratt, Madonna's co-star and <laughs> um, co-legal legal partner in the next best thing. Well, there's also one other connection to Julia Roberts um, is that. Um, Rupert Everett's writing partner, Mel Bordeaux. Mel Bordeaux. Um, anybody want to look up Mel Bordeaux and see if you can find anything on him? I, I, DB, I am DB this. There's no Mel Bordeaux. You know why? Who is Mel Bordeaux? Ryan Murphy. <gasps> that explains so much. Yeah. So Ryan Murphy then goes on to, this is before Nip Tuck, before Glee, and before Eat, Pray, Love with... Julia Roberts. Or his adaptation of The Normal Heart with Julia Roberts. Which is much later. Yes, correct. Um, but he was toiling um, uh, doing the uh, the show Popular, the cult hit Popular, during this time when The Next yeah. Best Thing was being made. So I'm assuming he was making extra cash script, direct, script doctoring. And it makes sense because like looking at that script, it there, there's a mechanical way that the movie is set up yeah. that, that actually does dramatic structurally work. Yeah, I think... Even though there, it's, uh, every, yeah. every motivation and, and reality is so far-fetched. Yeah, I, I think that the next best thing is painful for me because it's almost so many good things. Yeah. Like, as far as performance, as far as the story as far as what it could have meant, yeah. you know, yeah. the political ideas of the film, but it, it misses it. Like it, like it loses its center and yeah, it's a shame. And, and it, and it, it's kind of an embodiment of what a studio movies were. I mean, it's stunningly done. It looks like everyone had a good time making it. Nobody really sweated or had a hard time. The sets look great. The locations are wonderful. Everyone is shot beautifully. Yeah. I'm sure the craft surfaces were plentiful. Um, and- oh, um, well, we know that they were really happy on the set because there's a great um, Entertainment Tonight <laughs> interview. Did you see this? With Mark Steinis. Kenny always trolling Entertainment Tonight to well, find these well, weird is, little... I mean, it's important because Entertainment yeah. Tonight was such a part of our yeah. world at this. And this was, again, sort of the end of that. Yeah, you know, yeah. The beginning of the end. Sporting a fake bake and fashionable Hindu dots on her forehead, Madonna is in full character for her feature film return in The Next Best Thing. I had the exclusive invite to the closed set where she co-stars and shares a smooch with longtime pal Rupert Everett. She's sitting with Mark Steinis with all the girlfriends from the film, yeah. and they're talking about making the film and how every, she wants to talk about love, but all the other actors want to just talk about sex when they're together. And then, <laughs> she, and they're all laughing, and she's holding a fake baby, and um, and she's flirting with Rupert. But then she says to Mark Steinis, "She's like, you're really gorgeous." I try. Tell you that you look like, like Tom a- Cruise. <laughs> Yes. It's not about me, my dear. You really do. You're kind of gorgeous. Well, it's done a lot for him. Has it? Have you ever interviewed him? 
No, I have not. Has the girl kid ever to see, mistakenly come up to you and kissed you? <laughs> no, she hasn't. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, it was obvious Madonna wasn't sorry enough to stop her good-natured ribbing. This time, moving on to celebrities I have interviewed many times before. We know a lot about Cher, I know. Actually, she called me the other day. We were, she was talking about you. No, you know? no, I'm not going to believe that. I'm not going to believe that. I will not. I think no. she has a crush on you. No, you're going to make me blush. Let's move on. Uh, okay. Then they flash to Cher, who's getting ready to go on her first tour. I think it's the, would it be the Believe tour? No, no, Believe's already come and gone. Oh, well, whatever tour it is that she's about to go yeah. do, and she's like, Marks with Madonna. Now it begins the Mark Madonna Cher triangle. Go See, entertainment we tonight. Look at that. But this is just the point to like, she was obviously having a good time on the set. They were very relaxed, yeah, you know. Too relaxed. <laughs> yeah. No one was looking at the script, but everybody was having a good time. Darling, hold my gin and tea while I fake faint. <laughs> Till next time. Bye. And maybe you're the next best thing to happen